Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness and well-being and I'm delighted that you're here. Morena team, hope you're having a great week and uh, really looking forward to bringing to you today my conversation with Craig Emerich. Now, Craig is the husband of Maria Emerich over at Maria Mind Body Health and Keto-Adapt. And both Craig and Maria have spent the last 15 years researching and implementing practices for successful keto approaches with thousands of people so they're really well known they have an awesome website over at mariamindbody.com and they're also co-authors on a number of best-selling books such as the carnival cookbook keto the complete guide to success for the ketogenic diet the art of fat loss one that i've just purchased and also the Protein Sparing Modified Fast Cookbook. And we dive all into the science behind Protein Sparing Modified Fasts. In addition to that though, we talk about the ketogenic approach, how they got into adopting it, some of the pitfalls they see with their clients, and some of the best strategies to help support a well-formulated ketogenic approach. We also dive into the topic of nutrition for kids, uh, because their kids thrive on a ketogenic approach and we talk about Craig and his experience with his Lyme disease and how he's used diet and lifestyle to help manage those symptoms around that. So you can find Craig over at mariamindbody.com and enjoy my conversation with Craig Emmerich. Craig, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, hey, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to um, chat to me this morning. I really appreciate it. And as we were chatting just a little bit off here, you are on the beautiful island of Maui. Yes, that's where we're at right now for the next few months, trying to get away from those Wisconsin winters as much as we can. <laughs> I totally appreciate that. And um, I'm pretty sure I saw on Maria, your wife's Twitter account yesterday, this most amazing drone picture of a paddle board. Uh, was it like a great, like a, what was it? A, like a humpback whale. Amazing. Yeah, so the, we, that's one of the reasons we love Maui in the winter is because uh, the humpback whales, they, all the whales up in Alaska. So they, they feed and spend uh, their summers in Alaska. And then they swim 5,000 miles down to Hawaii to have their babies because wow. there's no predators here. There's also no food. So yeah. they're very much, you know, fattening up there and then they eat nothing all the way down here and while they're here. And then they have their babies, they mate here, and then they go swim all the way back with their babies. And, Amazing. Uh, start feeding again. Yeah. Um, but while they're here, it's really amazing uh, during the winter months here because there's so many whales in this concentrated area. You see them all the time. And Maria went out with uh, my son, Micah, on the paddleboard and a baby got curious 
I kept coming closer and closer and actually rubbed up against their board when it came up. Amazing. The mommy, the mommy didn't like that too much. Yeah. And so the mom tried to give the baby some distance. Yeah. So you see the mom come up from underneath the board, which, you know, mommy is, you know, I don't 50 tons and, you know, 50, 50 feet long. Yeah. Um, she came up and just kind of nudged, but they're just these amazing, they're very aware of their surroundings and very gentle yeah. giants, really. Yeah. And you can see that it was very careful to slide the baby away while not touching the board. It was just amazing. I, I have a drone, so I was filming it all from the top and it's just amazing to see. Amazing. And is it quite, is it unusual to have the whales so close to where, where you are? When, very unusual. Yeah. I, we've had that happen. Maria's had it happen twice in the you know 20 years that we've come here and she's always going out and trying to, trying to see the whales. But every once in a while you get a calf that is maybe a new calf yeah and it's just curious it's yeah. looking around like what is this thing and uh the moms the moms will intervene if they yeah. get too close for comfort yeah. so yeah amazing to be so close to something so massive right and yeah nature. It's yeah incredible yeah so craig one of the reasons I'm really excited to chat to you today is, of course, your work in the keto space and not just ketogenic diet and the work that you and Maria have done to bring, you know, your cookbooks and your online presence to life, but also, of course, some of the, I suppose, the background reasons for why you delved into it in the first place, particularly as I understand you're a particular um, lover of German beer. Am I right about that? Yeah. In the day? So, uh, we talk about so I'll do a short story of kind of the history. Uh, you know, I met Maria and at the time I met her, she was struggling with a lot of health issues. She mm. had some extra weight that she wanted to get rid of. Uh, she had IBS, she had acid reflux, she had PCOS. Um, and it was really, you know, daily bother to her system with all these issues. And so she tried to do everything she could to reverse them or to help, help with them. And doctors weren't really a help because not one of them <laughs> asked about what she was eating, mm. uh, tried to prescribe her, you know, prescriptions or whatever for IBS and that. And so she kept researching and she even went to college to, for exercise and science and nutrition. And the thing she was learning was the things she, she was already doing, which is the standard food pyramid of healthy whole grains and low fat and all of that kind of stuff. She was like, yeah. I'm doing it and it's not working. And she was even running marathons and she couldn't get rid of the excess weight. And so she's like, I, there's got to be a solution here. And right around that time, her, our, our puppy that uh, was her, her puppy uh, got sick and it was losing patches of hair. Mm. And first thing the vet said was when they took her in was, uh, what are you feeding her? And it was kind of a light bulb moment for her that maybe it's my food. You know, mm. maybe I am following this standard American diet or, you know, not standard American diet, but, you know, the food pyramid is not working for me. And so she started researching and finding out about low carb and keto. And, you know, this is 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, and she started implementing on herself and then she reversed her PCOS. She got rid of her acid reflux and IBS and felt amazing and lost the extra weight, even though she stopped running marathons because it was hard on her joints. Yeah. So, you know, it was like this kind of aha and everybody's, of course, everybody started asking her, how do you do this? And so she started helping people with it and writing her first book and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. Uh, myself, I didn't have any health issues at the time. Mm. I had maybe 30 pounds of extra weight that I could have, 
you know, could have stood to lose. Uh, but I didn't have any health issues day to day. And so it wasn't as pressing of a need for me. And so it took me probably four or five years later, probably about 16 years ago that I finally came along mm, because yeah. I have a strong German background and I brewed my own beer. And, you know, I was just kind of, uh, to switch to something like this was just seemed foreign at the time. But what happened was I'd, I'd eat during the week, what she made me and, you know, she'd pack me lunches and everything. And it was, I'd, I'd feel great during the week. And then on the weekends we'd go to restaurants and I'd have beer and, you know, some French fries and a bun. And I felt terrible. And mm. I finally made the connection of, you know what? I hate how I feel on the weekends. Yeah. I just want to feel this way all the time. Yeah. And so I just switched over and haven't looked back since, you know, and yeah, so it was a tough transition, but it, it was definitely for the best. Yeah, it's interesting what you say um, with regards to how you felt in the weekend uh, compared to how you felt during the week where, you know, uh, where you were eating much more lower carb. And I think this is often the thing with dietary changes. People don't appreciate how good they could feel yeah. until they experience it. And it's and I often have that conversation with clients that sometimes a good reminder for them as to why they're following an approach that we might work out together is because when they they veer off that course and they have like you know a weekend where they're not really in control of what they do and they have a few things here or there they wake up with like massive food hangovers basically yeah because yeah. of the stuff that and they put in exactly and in you know we've been doing this like i said almost you know maria's been helping clients for probably 16 plus years and thing that has been constant about this with this lifestyle throughout is that everybody that comes full in, you know, buys on and really, you know, commits to it and does it, they stick with it because of how they feel, not because of the weight loss, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, most diets, it's oh, lose the weight quick and then go do something because because you're like starving all the time, and all you know, typical diet kind of thing, right? Yeah. And yet this one with this, they, you know, their symptoms go away for all these autoimmune disorders and all these conditions. They get off prescription drugs. You know, we had one client that was taking 600 prescription pills a month, Holy. 30 a day. Right. And she's down to none within a couple months. That is. And you know, how how the side effects and you know, everything that you know, how much that different she felt after that. But you know, all these different conditions, people getting huge improvements. You know, Parkinson's, uh, we had a client who hadn't had feeling in this this place on their heel for like 20 years. Yeah. And within a few months of this lifestyle, was walking better and had feeling in that area again. Yeah. I mean, these are life-changing physical, you know, health changes. The weight loss is usually just a kind of side, a bonus, you know, yeah. a little extra benefit yeah. that comes with how amazing we feel. And I think it's, um, you know, with regards to Maria's story, it's really interesting because often you hear that a keto type approach is not the best approach for, for women, right? And and this is a this is certainly, you know, and of course with a lot of clients that I've seen, I've certainly seen that um, because I see a lot of athletic women, keto isn't necessarily just in its own right the best approach for them all of the time. But but I think people fail to 
appreciate that you know there's another side of things and so with Maria's PCOS which is basically insulin resistance you know like low carb keto is one of the best things you can do yeah Yeah. and undoubtedly because I've been a a long time follower of Maria since I've kind of delved into this area maybe about eight years or so ago she was one of probably one of the first people that I came across with her amazing recipes and and things like that and I heard her story is that she's quite clearly thriving and has continued to thrive under that approach. So I think that um, that there's that misconception that even if it does work for women, it's not going to work, you know, all of the time. And I think this is just such a good example of how there are so many different ways that you can approach a health problem. And keto is certainly a a very good um, option for a lot of people. Well, here's what I would add to that. And this is a very important point. I think Um, there's a lot of ways to do keto. Yes. There's a lot of bad ways to do it for long-term health. And, you know, you could, you could eat nothing but Crisco and be ketogenic, right? Yes. But I don't think anybody would say that would be a healthy approach, right? Yeah. And a lot of people, they fall into this kind of camp where they do a therapeutic ketogenic diet, which was originally developed, you know, uh, this 80% fat or, you know, these really high fat ratios. Uh, for epilepsy in the like 19 early 1900s, because it's really good at controlling uh, seizures. Yeah. Well, that's a therapeutic approach for a very specific situation. People t- think that's how you do keto in general. And what happens is, especially in women, when they try to do that and they use percentages to try to hit those ratios, they end up eating a lot of fat and not enough protein. And that is the situation that causes so many problems for women, especially athletes. And I, in general, regardless of diet, women typically under eat protein to begin with. Yes. So if you start going against try to do ratios and suddenly you're eating 40 or 50 grams of protein and it's not nearly enough for your body, guess what happens? You start losing your hair, your hair falls out because pr- low protein will cause that. Yeah. Uh, not getting enough protein, um, you know, sleep issues. All these things are typically uh, driven by, you know, not having a well-formulated ketogenic diet. And that's the key. And making protein a priority and focus is what ends up getting you uh, those those results. Yeah. And that's certainly something I've appreciated from your what I've seen as your approach with keto um, out there and, and um, the information you put out, because of course you do see a lot of that much more of a um, you know, a lower protein approach being advocated by people who yeah. who think that that is the only way to do keto. Has your keto approach, has that changed over time, Craig, or? Slightly, you know, uh, we've been doing this for, you know, 20 years. And so we've tried different things and we've tried different approach, approaches, but we always have come, end up coming back to that protein priority or protein focus yeah. because that's what works best. Yeah. And and especially in the last eight or 10 years, when we've, uh, I dove uh, totally into this business about 10 years ago, I left, I was an electrical engineer and I left that job and started just uh, doing 100% of, of our business. And, it, and when I did that, I just started researching biology and everything I could uh, get my hands on as well. And so everything I've learned from biology and how our bodies work reinforced the f- need to focus on protein first. Mm. When you do that, um, not only do you get the amino acids your body needs to build and repair its tissues, you also um, 
get tons of nutrients. So that's the yeah. thing that, you know, we put in our books, these chapters years ago now, and like in our keto book, uh, a whole chapter on nutrients in food, mm. because I think this is something we've misunderstood is where do we get our vitamins and minerals from? Mm. If you put a steak with some bro- uh, kale and some blueberries on a plate and ask somebody, where are you getting your vitamins and your minerals? They probably say the kale or maybe the blueberries. Yeah. In reality, it's the steak. Yeah. You get more vitamins and minerals across a wide range. I did a chart with 14 of the most essential vitamins and minerals. And just a steak beats uh, kale and blueberries on like 12 of them. Yeah. 12 out of 14. Yeah. And so you're really getting all your nutrients in that steak. And so that this, I think, is what when you do a well-formatted ketogenic diet with a priority of protein, you get super nutrient-dense food in addition to the, you know, the protein you need. And that fuels healing because what do your body need? What's, what does your body need to heal? Mm. Protein, amino acids, if there's repair to be done, and vitamins and minerals. Mm-hmm. Uh, your body needs those nutrient-dense foods to heal. Mm-hmm. So that's what uh, a focus on protein really gives you that. Yeah, nice. And can you describe to me just kind of how, if someone was to like work with uh, Maria or yourself, how how you might approach working with an individual and how that kind of looks for someone on a plate. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we have a macro calculator on our website, which is free. If people can go and uh, get their uh, macros again, we, we focus on macros. So grams of fat, protein, and carbs, not percentages, mm. because that's much uh, better and it fits the goals that you need for your body. Uh, our calculator is based off of lean mass. So what changes for a ketogenic diet? for macros. Primarily it's protein and maybe fat a bit based on your lean mass. Mm. If you're a five foot tall uh, woman who's only got 80 pounds of lean mass, you don't need as much protein as, you know, a six foot tall man, Mm. you know, and and their protein needs. So that our calculator adjusts for that. So then that becomes your protein goal, which is based on how much you need to build and repair your body, which people underestimate how much is needed for that. The the Nobel Prize winner for autophagy, he estimated based on his calculations of how much autophagy is happening all the time. Yeah, it's about twenty percent of our BMR. So wow. if people aren't familiar with autophagy, it's the cellular rebuilding, if you will, where it, the, it takes a cell and it breaks it apart and makes a new cell if the cell is old or aging or, or whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah, about twenty percent of our BMR, which calculates out to you turn over all your cells in about three months. Yeah. Amazing. Just think about that. Mm. It's, it, I mean, it's crazy to think about, but your body's constantly rebuilding cells. So you need that constant supply of amino acids to feel that. Yeah. And, um, you know, people might be familiar with autophagy when, when we talk about things like fasting, for example. Uh, yeah. Exercise is another thing which um, helps increase autophagy. Coffee increases autophagy. In fact, Craig, I remember thinking, well, sometimes I fast and I exercise and I drink coffee. Like, is there any ever a time I'm actually not, um, you know, having that uh, uh, autophagy process? Well, and that's a good point though, too, is that autophagy is going on all the time, Yeah. regardless of what your diet or anything is. So your body's always doing it at some level. Yeah. The question is how much, right? Yeah. Yes. Fasting, we don't, really like fasting longer than 24 hours because you start to lose lean mass, yeah. but you know, intermittent fasting where you just compress the time you eat in a day mm. to maybe hours or eight hours that 
uh, increases autophagy when you've been uh, not eating anything for a, a longer period of time. But strength training is probably one of the biggest increases of autophagy that you can do. Yeah. Plus you build strength and muscle. Yeah. So there's, there's no negatives there. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's a win-win. And I, and I like you, I'm not a big fan of the extended fast for the reasons that you describe as well. And also I think a lot of people I work with, you know, they've spent so many years in in some cases decades of restricting what they do in terms of food so I often like and I'm a fan of food and eating delicious things and so I feel like if there is a way to do it and actually you know enjoy the food then that is my preference and also get those nutrients you need because often when you talk to people about fasting you've got that kind of you know 16 8 but then you've got 20 and 4 and then you've got the one meal a day and then you've got the people who are like oh I've been fasting for five days you know well and that's the thing I don't like about the longer ones is again the best studies on this show that if you fast longer than 24 hours your body's I mean you're constantly turning over cells Mm. again like we talked but you're also you know you're shedding skin all day I mean you need this supply of protein yeah amino acid and so when you don't have that, you start losing lean mass. Yeah. About a quarter pound a day if you start the fast ketogenic. Mm. If you start not ketogenic and fast, it's almost it's over a pound a day at first. Yeah. And the ketogenic diet then becomes uh, protein sparing after about you know a day and a half, two days. Yeah. And then it goes down to about a quarter pound a day. Yeah. But again, quarter quarter pound of lean mass a day of muscle, that's not easy to replace. Yeah. Right. I mean, so we shouldn't take that lightly, and that's why we do. Instead, we prefer something called a protein sparing modified fast, which is which is a, mimics a lot of the benefits of longer fasting yeah. without the negatives. And really what it is, is little to no carbs, a fat intake of maybe only 30 grams for the whole day. Mm-hmm. And that's enough for, you know, uh, building sex hormones and uh, absorbing fat soluble vitamins and then protein at your goal, or maybe a little more mm-hmm. that what that does is it forces your body to burn more of its own fat for fuel. Yeah. And you get a lot of the benefits of a longer fast without the negatives of losing lean mass. Yeah. And I think I heard you talk on Rob Wolf's podcast a couple of years ago about protein sparing modified fast. And yeah. although I'd heard about it somewhere else, it was really the first real discussion that I'd heard of it. And I was really intrigued because um, mm. so a strange kind of introduction into all of this stuff. Like I am, and I'm a nutritionist who's who like Maria studied nutritional science and exercise and at uh, university, but of course, also like Maria learned the conventional kind of approach. And then when I started delving into this area, I remember coming across a book called the Ducan diet. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you were talking about to Rob about uh, protein sparing modified fast in the back of my head, I was like, this is like the Ducan diet. And for people who, which it isn't, but this is what it reminded me of. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with the Dukan, and I, I, this was quite popular in New Zealand maybe seven or eight years ago, um, you basically have phases of, of a dietary approach, if I'm remembering it correctly, where um, there'd be certain days where you would eat nothing but protein. And then you would gradually reintroduce you know, a day where you might have some vegetables um, and then reach a point kind of you know later on down the line where you're eating a fairly standard approach to a diet but you might have one day of a protein 
uh, sparing modified fast, essentially, because it was just yeah, lean yeah. protein. Except, of course, Ducan was a big fan of Diet Coke. Like, that was fine. You could have oh, as much yeah. Diet Coke as you wanted. <laughs> Appealing yeah, to no, me at the time. That is, you know, if you take kind of a, a mixture of some of those principles in the, the Ducan diet and then the early Atkins, like the 70s, yes. where he, not the processed food crap that it turned into, but, you know, uh, his his first books and his, his, the way he did it when he was alive, they they got a lot right. Yeah. You know, they, they both were well ahead of their time and they got a lot right in, in their focus on protein, you know, carbs to a minimum to help control hunger. You know, that's the approach, really. Those are the roots of, you know, a lot of what we uh, do today. Mm, mm. So with the protein sparing modified fast, what would a day on the plate look like for someone who, and how would someone put that into their, I suppose, their, their, their ketogenic approach? And do you need to be ketogenic in order to do it? So what is what is your kind of take on that? Yeah, so uh, just a, a little plug, we have a, a two eBooks, but we just launched a new eBook called The Art of Fat Loss, which is a protein sparing modified fast eBook. So that one, um, we have meal plans and everything, but really what it, it uh, we recommend, and you don't have to be keto to, to do it, although it'll make it easier to do it yeah. because you, you control hunger and you won't have those kind of uh, carb withdrawals, if you will, as you come off of the higher carbs. Uh, but what we recommend is usually do two or three days a week mm-hmm. of protein sparing and then regular keto, you know, weight loss macros the other days. Uh, for clients that want to lose weight uh, quickly or break a stall. Um, and what the day looks like, it's really uh, leaner protein focus. Mm. And what's really amazing about it is there's something about protein without a lot of fat added that drives massive amount of satiety. Yeah. And that's what makes it so great because, you know, you talk, we talked earlier about extended fast. It can be hard the first couple of days. Yeah. I tidy, you know, things kind of level out after that, you know, make it a little easier. But what's great about this is it's only anywhere from maybe 650 to 800 calories, mm. uh, typically around, you know, 650, 700 calories mm-hmm. for the day. Mm-hmm. And we have clients time and time again tell us, I can't eat all the food. Amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm so full. I don't even know if I can finish these meal plans that are 700 calories yeah, and yet they're getting all the protein their body needs. They're getting all these vitamins and minerals because it's very nutrient dense. Yeah. So you focus on things like, you know, chicken, uh, like chicken breast, um, fish, most, almost any fish is good for protein sparing seafood, especially like shrimp. Yeah. Really good. Um, leaner cuts of meats like, uh, loins or filet mignon, mm. those kind of things, pork loin. Um, those are really great protein sparing foods. So you focus on mainly that, maybe a little bit of uh, you know, low carb veggie with that if you like, mm-hmm. and that's a protein sparing. Yeah, and do you know that's not that far removed from like the 800, I think it's called Fast 800 from Michael Mosley, if you've heard that, or, uh-huh. and also the, the 5-2 approach that he's also, and, and I've used with clients as well, where just in terms of the amount of energy provided on the days where they are in their kind of restricted energy days, 
And then, of course, I'm thinking Volta Longo with his longevity approach, where the caloric load is similar, but the, the premise is very different because he's very anti-protein, which, as I understand it, um, Stu Phillips and, and Luke Van Loon and that are all kind of, I remember Stu Phillips saying, we are writing a rebuttal to that protein um, story that Volta Longo um, kind of tells people because there is a lot of misinterpretation of the actual data. But from the from the caloric load, where you know you have a lot less kind of dietary energy going in, it's not too different. But the way that you're describing it actually sounds a lot more doable for people. I think. Yeah, I, if I had a you know Victor Lugo's uh, approach with the low protein, I would be starving. Mate. I can guarantee. Yes. You know the body. There's a lot of uh, theories and evidence towards a uh, what's called a uh, protein leveraging or where your body will actually kind of drive you to eat more yeah. until you get enough protein. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the hunger signals because it knows how badly it needs those amino acids. So if you're not eating enough protein, it's going to drive more hunger and drive you to eat more of anything till it gets that protein. Yeah. So. I've seen those um, studies on that protein leverage theory and it's quite clear. I remember this one study, which I share with my students and that, you know, then they changed the, the protein percentages and look across the board, actually their high, highest protein load is actually still, you know, it's not that high. It's more of a moderate protein. I think it's like 25%. Um, but certainly even if you've got between 10% of the diet um, coming from protein, which sounds low, but I talk to a lot of people with very low protein, like would they be in and around that probably? Um, even the difference between 10 and 25%, you get people eating an additional, say 350 calories predominantly from carbohydrate because that's that drive to eat. Yeah, and, and again, you know, there's a, much, a lot of other evidence on vitamins and minerals. If you have low nutrient dense yes. density, you drive more hunger because your body needs the vitamins and minerals. Well, again, back to animal proteins are some of the most nutrient dense foods you can eat. Yeah. So you that as well. And that drives the satiety as well. But, you know, if you look again, back to the, you know, like our meal plans in the book, you're getting, uh, 400 to 500 calories of protein. Yeah. And even that again, back to the, you know, weight loss is the goal and all that, you know, thermic effect of food is another big factor. Mm. So, one of the things about our food that really changes, you know, the, the caloric uh, amounts and whatnot is the thermic effect, which is how much energy your body has to uh, use to process that food. Protein is very high. The thermic effect is 25 to 30%, yeah. depending on the protein flow. Mm. Or things like fat are like 3%. Yeah. So those, even those four to 500 calories, you can basically negate 100 or 150 calories of it yeah. because of the thermal effect. Yeah. So again, even though you're driving satiety, yeah. you're getting vitamins and minerals and you're getting protein your body needs. Yeah. You're also getting the thermic effect. And so, you know, you're, you're maybe taking in a net of like 500 calories and being satiated, yeah. which is insane. And I feel like people misunderstand that the, I suppose the thermic effect of fat actually, because of course, in a ketogenic approach, you often hear that like you can eat as much fat as you like and fat is really satisfying. Whereas actually, particularly women actually don't feel so satisfied with fat the way that they do with protein. Um, and I, um, when I kind of talk to people about fat and that, you know, for every nine, for every 100 calories of fat you eat, your body's 
you know, going to easily store probably 99 of them compared to yeah. the, the, that 25% that you were de- describing with protein, yeah. which is, as I understand it as well, almost a light bulb kind of goes off on them. Because if we think about foods which are uh, advocated on a keto approach and they're great foods, you know, macadamia nuts, avocado, nut butters, although that's a dangerous territory really for a lot of people. They're like, you know, a bit addictive. Um, but it, yeah. it's very easy to overeat them because, and then of course, if you say to yes. someone, have a miserly, you know, quarter a cup of nuts, that's not a whole lot of food. Whereas with protein, it's just so different. Yeah. And we actually tell clients that if your fat loss is your goal mm. and you're having, you're not seeing the results, we tell all of our clients cut a hundred percent of dairy and nuts because they are very energy dense Yeah, and they're just, they're two of the foods. There's been studies on this as well. Foods that don't drive satiety as well. Calorie for calorie, yes. dairy and nuts are to, on the top. Yep. There's something about them. They're, I don't know if there's the hyper palatability or the, you know, mat, very dense you eat and, and there's been things too. I've seen these online where there, there's like a hand with one side, it's hundred calories of nuts and the other side it's 200. Yeah. And it looks like there's maybe one or two more nuts. Yeah. So if you grab a handful, how much did you really grab there? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so there's that as well. But um, the thing with, uh, I just lost my train of thought, but yeah, it's, it's, it's dairy and nuts can be problematic. Oh, and, and back to the, the fats. I mean, part of this too is, is very dependent on goals, yeah. right? Uh, we work with one of the uh, Dr. Kilts at CNY Fertility is a top fertility doctor in the country, gets some of the highest success rates for f- fertility mm-hmm. with women. Mm-hmm. And it's because he puts 100% of his, he puts every client on keto. Interesting. And it's it's a little more fat, higher yeah. approach yeah. You know, versus like a weight loss. Yeah. Because all of our sex hormones are derived from saturated fat and cholesterol. Yeah. And that's just one of the precursors and building blocks of it. Yeah. And so when you put them on uh, this ketogenic diet, he gets huge success rates. And so while fat is good and the right kinds of fats are very healthy, it depends on your goals. You know, if you want to lose fat on your body, don't add as much to the diet. Absolutely. And you know what, Craig, you raise a really interesting point because a lot of women who approach keto from that fat loss perspective, but then also don't um, see success with it. Often it is, well, obviously the protein is the big component, but also with women, like we can really struggle to add things into the diet, you know, tell us to drop something out. No problem. We've been doing that for years. You know, we're very good at that, but to actually increase the fat that, you know, with which for these women or protein, which would actually help the successful um, implementation of a keto approach, they really struggle with that. So with what you said with that fertility doctor, I'm not surprised at all. And I imagine that um, having the guidance of someone and that real goal would, would help, I suppose, a woman kind of get her head around eating more. But I think it also highlights what we talked about earlier, which is you know, one of the things people say women can't do keto is because it's not good for fertility. Well, it actually drives fertility. And we see this all the time. We have a, you know, lots of clients where, you know, if they're still at an age, maybe, you know, low forties where they don't think they're going to have any more kids, you want want to be careful when you go keto because it's very enhancing for fertility. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I've got to say, I, I did actually purchase the ebook uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and 
I have to say, and I don't know and if it's Maria is the one behind it. I, I suspect it is, and apologies if I'm wrong, but her recipes are so innovative and amazing. I absolutely love them. And the way that she uses eggs, like to is yeah. like one of the best sources of protein, like the, the egg bread, uh, the amazing egg pancakes, the egg milkshakes. I say milkshakes, smoothies actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well the, the pudding is one that people can't believe that. So we have Maria, it's on our blog, it's also in our books, and there's a protein sparing modified fast version of the chocolate pudding in the in that art of fat loss book. It's it, you start with hard boiled eggs. Yeah. And people are like making pudding out of this and yet it works so well. You cannot believe how good it, you know, it tastes when you're, when you're done. But uh, I started out from uh, when uh, we adopted our sons and our baby Kai, we really wanted to get some eggs in him because we knew, you know, how much uh, how healthy they were and then all the nutrients in them. And he wouldn't, we tried cooking them every way we could possibly think of. And he just didn't like eggs mm. that much. And so she's like, all right, I'm going to get some eggs in this kid somehow. So she started playing around with this, you know, blending it and, and she came up with this pudding and he loved it. Amazing. And it, we get this all the time from parents. My kids won't eat eggs, but they love your pudding. That's fantastic. And, uh, the protein sparing version just uses the whites instead of the whole egg. Yep. And so you get all that protein and people have asked me multiple times. Uh, so this is just two servings because you make this pudding with the egg whites and it's 10 egg whites yeah. plus the other ingredients. Yeah. And they get all, you know, this, you know, pretty good amount of pudding Yeah, and it's like 200 and some calories per serving. Yeah. For two servings. The whole batch is like 400 calories. It's amazing. And again, satiety, yep. you know, that that's amazing. And particularly like, so personally, I'm a bit of a volume eater. Like I like to yeah. see big amounts of food on my plate and I like to eat big amounts of food. So something like, so with uh, Maria's innovation and around things like that, something I completely appreciate. And of course, I will put um, links to your cookbooks on okay, um, the show notes so people can see them because I also have to say it's very reasonably priced. So it was, okay. you know, it, it was um, well, very accessible. Yeah, and your your assumption is right. Maria does all the recipes uh, for our book. She's the innovator, the the scientist in the kitchen, and uh, I'm kind of the scientist on the the rest of it. So, any of our recent books, any of the front matter, yeah, where we talk about biology and all that, that's that's me. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's interesting, Craig. A lot of the people in the low carb keto space haven't necessarily had a nutrition background and I feel like that's actually been super helpful because you don't go into it with this with blinkers on which is as I have approached I approached nutrition up until you know I kind of I don't know you know the light bulb moment if you like the same that Maria would have had but it's you know if you've learned something in a university classroom it's really difficult to to then kind of turn your back on that whereas from that as an engineer particularly you know you kind of your problem solver I, I don't know you know yeah. mathematical scientist yeah. you've got all the elements yeah, you need like, to actually not look at something from a from a, an emotional subjective perspective I suppose yeah I think that is a, a good point you know we uh, when I was an electrical engineer you know we looked at things as systems mm -hmm. right and everything you know, like, like if I had a computer chip that I was working on and the outputs were wrong, first thing I'm going to do is go look at the inputs Yeah. or my inputs correct. So if the inputs were correct, that means there's something wrong with the chip. If the in inputs were wrong, well, then I got to go downstream and figure out why the inputs were wrong. Right. Yeah. It's that kind of system approach. And I, I think I've 
brought a lot of that into this space. And I think it's, there's actually a lot of people in this community that I have an engineering background that have come into this space. In the US, we have Tyler Cartwright from Keto Gains, yep. he's an engineer. Uh, Ted Neiman is a very, very big on protein and protein leveraging yes. and keto. And he's, he's a doctor now, but he was an en- uh, engineer as well. Um, there's people like Mar- Marty Kendall. Yep. Down. He's an engineer. You got all these engineers, uh, Ibor Cummins, who's uh, big into keto and cholesterol and all that. Yeah. Dave Feldman, Dave, Dave Feldman is uh, big on cholesterol and, and understanding that with in a keto context. These are all engineers. Yeah. And I think we've come into this with a different view of things. Yeah. And back to the system, you know, we I look at the body as a system and it's got inputs and outputs. And the inputs, uh, you know, are huge, like diet, yeah. um, getting enough sunlight mm-hmm. and exposure. Uh, exercise, getting enough sleep. These are all inputs to the body, to the system. And when they get off, you get bad outputs. Yeah. You get autoimmune disorders, you get, you know, diabetes and, you know, type two diabetes and these uh, metabolic problems. So go back upstream and fix the inputs. Yeah. And that's kind of how we approach everything. Yeah. And I try to, uh, you know, bring that across in our books. Yeah. And you do such a, fa- a fabulous job of that. And I, I think it really works to have the nu- nutritionist, if you like, with the engineer, because, because it's that translation. And this is the other thing that you guys do so well, is that translation of knowledge into actually practical tips, which people can use. And what I will say is people who, you know, you often hear a criticism that uh, people like some of the names that you describe. Well, you know, what would they know because they haven't studied nutrition? And when I hear that as a, as a person who has studied nutrition, I'm like, well, that's the benefit because they haven't studied nutrition yeah. and they yeah, are very good at reading science and they're very good at critiquing without any sort of set bias. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, I think it's personally, I think one of the things that really helped me is I actually went from engineering into product management. And as a product manager, you're kind of like the CEO of a product where you, you have to disseminate, you know, and this is in, in, in like engineering and computer technology. And later on, I was in healthcare, like informatics, like so, uh, healthcare software, uh, things like C, uh, software that analyzes, you know, CT and PET scans, yeah. uh, that kind of, te- you know, very technical stuff. I've got to decipher that and, and message it in a way that, everybody in the company from the engineers working on it up through the CEO or the sales team, you know, provide that messaging to understand what this is doing. And I think that really helped me, uh, you know, be able to disseminate information that might be pretty technical, you know, in multiple ways to help people understand it. And I think biology can be a lot of the same, you know, you start talking about all of the hormones and, you know, things going on in the body, it can get into the weeds pretty quickly mm. for the general pub- public. If you can dis- uh, decipher that into a way that's just easy to understand, mm. you can get very uh, complicated uh, topics that help people understand it a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, Craig, if we go back to the protein uh, sparing modified fast, just briefly before mm-hmm. I then um, ask you something about your own health journey. So who is who would not benefit from utilizing that approach, do you think? Well, I think, you know, anybody who wants to lose body fat or improve body composition, it's great. If you're lean and you're an athlete and, you know, you don't need to lose body fat necessarily, I wouldn't do it Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. that's not your goal, right? Yeah. You know, um, we work with a lot of athletes as well, men and women, and 
you know, their approach can be a bit different, you know, fat is their fuel. And so, you know, they're going to need a lot of fat and they got to really select the types of fat based on what kind of performance they're doing and all that, but also, you know, uh, the right amounts fuel for them for races. You know, we just, we did a conference this last fall with, uh, and one of the people we had on was Zach Bitter, yeah. who's a world record holder now and a whole bunch of things, uh, 100 miles, uh, 12 hour running. And, you know, his fueling approach is a lot different Yeah, because, you know, he's running 100 miles at world record speed, Yeah, you know, but you know, primarily in his training and everything else, he's almost, almost carnivore and, you know, uh, very ketogenic. And then on the race days, he's basically monitoring how much glucose per hour and how much fat per hour do I need to fuel and sustain what, what I'm doing, right? And so it's very, gets almost scientific in, in how, how he feels. Yeah. Very different approach than the typical person just trying to lose 20 pounds of body fat. Absolutely. And I actually just um, chatted to Zach a month or so ago um, because I'm a big fan of him and his, um, and I love his podcast. There's another woman actually on Maui called Cynthia Montalomi. Montalioni, I think is her name. Have you heard of her? I haven't. I'm, I'm going to write that down. And um... Oh, I was going to say, she is a 400-meter world record holder. She's carnivore. And she's over 40. So her Instagram handle is fast over 40. And I've also interviewed her, actually, for this well, podcast. She just contacted us. That's what I was going to look it up because, yeah, fast over 40. She, she wanted to meet us here. A hundred percent. You guys would totally connect. Like she is amazing. And she undoubtedly, like you have so much synergy with what you do and what you promote. Um, It would be great to have. And if you do meet up, you guys should like uh, record it for the benefit of everyone who's interested in this space, because that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Um, Now, Craig, can we talk a little bit about your own health journey? Because as I understand Mm -hmm. it, it was maybe seven or so years ago that you started getting chronic pain. Is that right? Yes. Uh, So uh, going back again, maybe 15, 16 years ago, I was keto and I felt amazing. Lost that extra 30, 35 pounds that I had uh, and, and felt great. You know, all the mental clarity and everything. I could really focus on my job and everything. Um, got to about eight or nine years ago, I started having uh, back pain. And the whole story on this is in, in high school, I damaged a disc in my lower back. Mm. And throughout my life, a few times a year, I would have shooting pain from like the disc slipping because the disc was damaged and torn. And, you know, I, I managed it as best I could. And I started getting this stiffness and soreness in my lower back. And it, it just was there all the time. Mm. Instead of like shooting pain down my leg, like it used to be, uh, it was always sore and tight. And I didn't think anything of it. I thought maybe it's just that, you know, damn, that injury kind of rearing its head again in a different way. Uh, But over the years, over about six, seven years, it got worse. It moved up my back, into my shoulders, into my neck. And uh, it was just this constant stiffness and pain. And it progressed to immobility, you know, reducing my mobility. And so I... uh, finally just said, you know, something's, something's wrong here. Mm. I shouldn't be this, you know, uh, early forties and struggling (laughs) to throw football as far as my, you know, six-year-old. Yeah. Right. So, uh, granted he's got a great arm, but (laughs) (laughs) I still should be able to throw a ball further than him, uh, you know, when we play football, but 
so I finally said, you know what? I, well, the whole story, I, I went in to a doctor, got some tests done, and he did the, I, I said, this sounds a lot like Lyme. He did the standard Western blot Lyme test, and it came back negative. Mm. I'm like, okay, what is it? And he started mentioning maybe autoimmune stuff or whatever. A year later, after it kept getting worse, I'm like, there's got to be, I got to figure this out. So I went into a functional medicine doctor who we knew, and I said, here's all the tests I want. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to diagnose myself, right? Mm. Here's all the things I want done. And all of this battery of tests I asked to have done, the things that stuck out were, were uh, my red blood cell count, even though I've been borderline carnivore already at that point, lots of red meats mm. and a lot. Uh, I, my hemoglobin was low. Mm-hmm. I was anemic. And um, that's had, you know, issues with my energy and all that. And then uh, my CRP, my C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation, which with our clients, we tell them below two, yeah. ideally below one is great. And all of our clients that go keto get there. And I have been keto for 10 years at this point. Mm. Uh, I, my CRP was 50. Amazing. And I'm like, okay. And I didn't have a cold or infection or anything. You know, it was, that, that was where I was sitting all the time. Mm. Um, and so I, I knew something had to be wrong. And my, uh, at our time, our uh, publisher, who had gone through his own chronic Lyme journey, said, I think you have Lyme. You just, you got to get the right test. Yeah. And so we got the uh, Igenex Lyme disease test, which is much more accurate, you know, looks at more bands and all this, all co-infections. And I tested positive for Lyme disease. Yeah. And one of the co-infections is Babesia, which attacks red blood cells yeah. and that, you know, causing my anemia as well. Mm. So then I went uh, down about a year and a half journey of trying every, you know, thing you ever hear about for Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, with little success. But what I then started about two years ago uh, is 100% carnivore, okay. cu- cutting out all plants. Yeah. And that helped my pain a lot. Amazing. And so if anything I tried going carnivore and cutting out all plants, made my pain levels go way down, Yeah. especially my migrating pain. Uh, one of the things with Lyme is Lyme and mold. I also had, I had a whole range of issues, but I had high mold as well. Uh, you uh, get migrating pain in the joints. Yeah. So like I wake up in the morning and my right knee feels like I sprained my knee. Yeah. Didn't do anything. It, it just that morning it's my knee. Yeah. Next morning it's the ankle or the hip or both knees. And it, it, it would be debilitated, debilitating enough where I'd almost need crutches to walk around with my hip yeah. pain. Yeah. Um, when I'm hundred percent carnivore, it's almost non-existent. Amazing. Does it change if you're in Wisconsin versus Maui? Does, you know, do you notice yes. that? And that's one of the reasons we're here now yeah. and we're staying for longer is that uh, people with uh, chronic Lyme disease will tell you it's very seasonal. Yeah. Um, uh, even uh, again, our publisher who now lives in Arizona, yeah. he sees a big change in, in the winter. Yeah. Something about the winter time that uh, causes flare ups of pain and whatnot. Yeah. And I was having a flare up before we left in November, which, you know, in Wisconsin, we were already getting snow and, and I was actually on crutches because of my hip for the, the three or four days before we left. And, uh, just to be able to get around with and, and manage the pain, yeah. um, got here and I haven't had any issues of walking since I got here. That's like amazing. And why is it that there's so many false negative tests mm. 
because I, so in New Zealand, in this kind of neck of the woods, limes pretty rare actually and in fact to the point where some health authorities would say it's not even a thing in New Zealand however of course you do have people and I, I was reading a couple of articles yesterday saying actually you know what yes there are people with Lyme you know people travel and come back and bring it back just because the ticks might not be here or they might not carry that same bacteria doesn't mean that it's not actually an issue. It's a much bigger issue than I think anybody especially healthcare professionals really understand. Yeah. Uh, well, there's even still people even in the U.S. that, you know, doctors that think chronic Lyme isn't a thing. You just treat it with, you know, uh, four weeks of, uh, you know, minocycline and it's gone. Amazing. There's a big lack of understanding of the problem. You know, even I think it was six years ago, which it's I'm sure it's higher now. <clears throat> they estimated even with all the false negatives, about 300,000 cases a year in the U.S. Right. Now, uh, that's with the false negatives. And, you know, like I had with the, the problem with the Western blot Lyme test is it only tests certain bands and you have to be high in a certain number of them to be quote positive. Yeah. And they don't test any co-infections or anything like that. Yeah. And so you have yeah. a false negative rate. If you talk to a Lyme literate doc, uh, I'll tell you that the Western blot Lyme test is, has a false negative rate of 60 or 70%. Yeah. Amazing. You really do have Lyme, but it says, you know, you're, you don't. That's crazy. Which is what happened to me. No. You know, and I um, remember listening to a few podcasts and one of them, Tim Ferriss, talking about his experience with Lyme and that for him going keto was really uh, instrumental in helping him overcome it. What is it, Craig, about the carnivore approach that is actually, that is helping? So can you help describe to the listeners why that might be? Yeah, sure. Uh you know, I think in my personal situation, it was kind of unique because, you know, when I got Lyme, I had already been keto for like 10 years. And if you look at all of our clients and everybody that we work with, what we do is we have our clients go keto and most of them see big improvements with yeah. their Lyme by going keto. Some like me, you know, keto wasn't enough. And going to carnivore, they see some improvement with keto, but going carnivore really helps. Yeah. Um, but I think what happened to me is being keto for like 10 years before I even got it, it enabled me to manage it longer, yeah. which was a blessing and a curse because with Lyme disease, if you catch it early, that four weeks of antibiotic might be enough yeah. to take care of it. If you catch it right away, yeah. if it gets chronic where you have it for years, what happens is it depresses the immune function and you get all these problems that creep in that normally your body could take care of yeah. because it's the immune system and detox de de detoxification pathways aren't working like they should. And so, you know, I had heavy metals, I had mold toxicity, I had, you know, all of these problems that creep in because of that you had it for so long. Yeah. And so again, it was like seven years, I managed the pain because I was eating keto yeah, and then I finally broke down. I had to do something. Yeah. But um, you know, normal typically, you know, if I was eating a standard American diet, it might have taken a a few months, and I was like, okay, I got to take care of this. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you know, that's part of the issue. But as as far as carnivore, I think for myself, one of the things, uh, you know, obviously I have no proof of this. This is just my yeah. theory on it. Why why carnivore works so well is because all plants come with anti nutrients. Yeah. So you know, there's oxalates, there's, you know, phytates, there's all these compounds in plants that are essentially, you know, uh, natural pesticides that the plant has to evolve to develop over the years to fight off 
bugs and things from eating it because the plant doesn't want you to eat the, yeah. the leaves or the stalk or the roots because it kills the plant. Yeah. Right. It only wants you to eat the fruit um, and spread the seeds. And so it's built compounds in to defend itself. You can't run away like a deer can from a predator from eating it. So these natural compounds uh, that are in it have to be detoxified by the body and, and got removed from the body. That's why it's an anti-nutrient. Yeah. Oxalate, there's nothing in the body that wants or needs oxalates. It doesn't need it. It doesn't want it. And it has to get rid of it through detoxification um, or, or removed to the kidneys. You know, just It has to be removed. When you've got a chronically depressed immune function, like I did with chronic Lyme, heavy metals build up, you know, anti-nutrients build up. And I think that was what was the big trigger for my migrating pain and, and some of the pain is that when you add to the existing load of everything my body's dealing with, the extra, you know, load of the anti-nutrients from plants, it's just it's too much yeah. for my body. And uh, eliminating them, I see a uh, big relief. Yeah. And some of the first people to do carnivore, like Charlene Anderson, who's been doing carnivore for 20 years yeah. now, started because of her chronic Lyme disease. And that's where she saw relief. Yeah. So interesting. And, and I, and I, of course, Michaela Peterson, Jordan, you know, mm-hmm. you know I think she kind of yeah. popularized it a little bit. You've got Sean Baker, who doesn't necessarily have health health issues you know he's just yeah. you know this is just kind of the way he eats and I think Craig as I you know because I've heard you discuss this before and I think what I also really appreciate about it is that you're not particularly zealot about it you know it's not yeah. like you're saying this is the way everyone should eat you like it's quite clearly having a therapeutic effect for you yet it's not like you are now totally against anyone eating a salad you know because it's, it's you know it's it's quite different it's it depends on your goals. You know, yeah. that, that we start out our books by saying, what's your why? Yeah. Why are you doing this? Yeah. And especially with carnivore, why are you doing carnivore? Yeah. Um, is it for an autoimmune disorder? Is it for Lyme disease? Okay. Well, you're going to want to do it in this way. And we basically define what's a car- we call the carnivore autoimmune protocol. Yeah. It's really like an ultimate elimination diet where you start out with beef and salt, and then you slowly add things back in and see what works for your body. Yeah. Um, and, and it works really well for a lot of things like bipolar, you know, autoimmune disorders, uh, Lyme disease. Um, we just see it as another tool in yeah. the kit, right? Really carnivore is just keto without plants. Yeah. Um, and again, just like protein sparing, I, I would never tell Zach Bitter to do protein sparing modified fast days. He would suffer and hate it <laughs> yeah. uh, because that's not going to fit his goals. I also wouldn't, you know, if somebody likes plants and, and, and doesn't have any autoimmune disorders, great, do a ketogenic lifestyle and, 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 you know, be happy with that. You don't have to do carnivore as long as you get enough protein for your lean mass. Yeah. Yeah. So what does your carnivore approach look like, Craig? What kind of, what, what's your diet look like on a day by day? Interestingly, and I don't know if this contributes a little bit to how I feel better in Hawaii, but the diet is very different here than it is at home. Oh yeah. Uh, at home, my wife, primarily now, because it's harder for me, uh, we bow hunt. And so we get some venison uh, that we stock our freezer with. So I eat uh, lots of venison. Yeah. Also, you know, grass-fed beef, uh, things like just hamburger, you know, hamburger patties, uh, steak, um, any, uh, I haven't found really any sensitivity to any particular protein. Mm-hmm. So I eat pretty much any protein, you know, 
It could be fish, shrimp, anything. Uh, at home, though, it's primarily, primarily beef, venison, eggs, uh, a little bit of dairy sometimes. Here, it shifts a lot because we're in Hawaii and fresh fish is amazing. Yeah. And so I start going down, uh, you know, lots of fresh fish. Uh, I eat poke almost every day here. Oh, so yum. make make your own little poke, which is uh, a, a mayo that we make ourselves with some a uh, little bit of spice to it and the the you know raw ahi yep. cut up and i love that i eat tons of raw ahi and fish here uh and we do other fish cuts like mahi mahi um a little bit of grass-fed beef and stuff while we're here and, and eggs too to, to switch it up but i eat lots of fish i, I stock up on my omega-3s and dha while i'm here amazing actually and you know um i was chatting to a uh, professor Stuart Gray, who is um, over in Glasgow, about um, muscle function and omega threes, actually, and mm-hmm. even the absence of uh, doing resistance training, which of course is the most potent stimulus for you know muscle for muscle protein synthesis and, and muscle building. Yep. That healthy uh, uh, older adults were able to retain muscle um, with just the addition of, I think it was two to three grams of omega-3 fish oils per day. So, which is actually quite a feat when you consider that, you know, as we age, it's the fact that they're maintaining and not the inevitable kind of uh, accelerated loss um, really speaks to how important omega-3s is for muscle function. So Craig, I don't doubt that, you know, there's a lot of probably really good health benefits from the type of diet you have in Maui. Yeah, no, it's... uh... That's interesting. And one, one actually quick note on the, the, as you, as we age, uh, protein becomes even more of a, a focus or need because as we age, so the thing that stimulates muscle protein synthesis is primarily leucine, mm-hmm. which is an amino acid that when we get enough of it, I think it's like three and a half grams. Yeah. Uh, we trigger muscle protein synthesis. We kick off this, uh, you know, mTOR process in the body where you build muscle. And the problem is that threshold of three and a half, it shifts when we age. Yeah. And so you actually need more leucine to st- stimulate that process yeah. to occur. Yeah. And so as we age, you know, we typically say 0.8 or so times your lean mass mm. for your grams of protein a day, that's in pounds. Mm. Um, that's what our calculator uses. If you get, get, as you age, get above 60 or into your seventies, now you're talking one or 1.1 or even 1.2 times your lean mass for protein goal, just to maintain, Yeah, because you need that extra protein to, to maintain your muscle as we age. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I um, encourage women over 40 to really start looking at their protein intake yes. for that, for that very reason as well. Yep. And um, yeah, you start in there and it really becomes more important when you get to the, you know, sixties and seventies, you yeah. really got to focus on. Yeah. And the problem is most women and adults you know, of that age to eat less protein. Yeah. And in, and in fact, if I, I've had this conversation um, with a lot of people, actually, is that we often hear that we eat too much protein, but, and it's typically because they're, they're comparing what people eat to the very low recommended daily allowance, you know, which is probably inadequate for most people who, you know, want yeah. to thrive for well, sure. The, those levels if you go look back at how they're established it's you need it what's the minimum level to stave off like disease and 
So that's how they set those yeah. levels. It's not optimum, it's minimal yeah. to stand off problems. Yeah, yeah. Now, Craig, um, just to finish off, I'm really curious. Um, so you have two beautiful, thriving boys. Is it Mika and Kai? Is that right? Mika and Kai, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How do they eat? What's their gen- What's your approach to their nutrition? So we adopted them. Um, it's nine and a half years ago now uh, from Ethiopia. Uh, they're 10 and 11. Um, as soon as we brought them home, we just fed them what, what we eat. Yeah. Um, they were, Kai was about one and a half at the time. And so he was ready for some solid foods. And we, so we primarily, uh, anything we eat, we would just make in it for him. Yeah. You know, if it was beef, we would puree it up into, you know, something he could eat. Uh, we supplemented that with bone broth in his bottle. Yeah. Um, that was kind of his supplement to the meat and vegetables that we would just puree up for him. And, uh, they started out because of the orphanage they were at, didn't have great, you know, they struggled to feed all the kids. And they came to us at about 3% on the height and weight charts, wow. like barely registering, yeah. like two or 3%. And within a year, they were 50%. And within two years, they were about 75%. And they stayed there ever since. Um, so, you know, it's kind of funny because, uh, first of all, it's meat and vegetables, yeah. which people are like, you feed your kids keto? <laughs> you just feed them real food. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. But uh, on top of it, you know, people say, oh, keto's not good for kids. They won't grow. And obviously that's not true. But it, yeah. uh, if they get enough protein, they will grow. Yeah. And the studies that that's based off of are some studies of kids with, she- with epilepsy. Yeah. So number one, they have epilepsy. So this is not exactly you know, applicable to everyone. Yeah. Uh, number two, it was done a therapeutic ketogenic approach to control epilepsy. Yes. So it was 90% fat. Yeah. And if you calculate how much protein these poor kids were getting, it was like 30 or 40 grams of protein a day. Yeah. Of course, that's going to slow growth because you're not getting the amino acids you need to grow. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So they've, they've eaten what we eat ever since and they're just thriving yeah and you can certainly tell and I just thought about how a little bit stalkerish that sounds that I I'm sitting here thinking I've seen your your children grow over the years and just yeah. you know but I guess that's the nature of of you know the information and stuff Social media, yeah, we put, we put them out, but they like being in especially Kai he loves being in the cooking videos yeah so. yeah it's so great to see um Craig this has been great thank you so much for kind of taking the time this morning just to chat to me about you've really kind of highlighted some of the main, I suppose, um, issues with pe- that people have with keto and that how you might approach that in a, in a way that helps optimize that for people. And you've really highlighted a couple of things which I really drive home when I'm talking to someone about a keto approach as to, you know, there's a right way and, and, a, and a wrong way. And that well-formulated ketogenic approach is exactly what you guys promote. Um, and I love the addition of the protein sparing modified fast for those people who see that they've got, you know, weight loss stools and they're really struggling to kind of get through it. Um, I, you know, it's a, something which I um, use with some people with great success as well. Um, and I look, I just want to say thank you for all of the information you put out there. You, you guys are so generous with that and um, really recommend that anyone who's interested in, in um, what we're discussing to follow the show notes through to your websites and, and they'll see just a bunch of stuff which you've just put up there um, for free, which is 
from that so helpful for people? Yeah, thank you. No, it's uh, MariaMindBodyHealth.com is our blog with tons of free information. Social media, it's usually uh, you know, Maria Emmerich or Craig Emmerich. And then Keto-Adapted.com is where we get we sell our eBooks and support. Uh, but watch out for, I'm not sure when this is going to post, but uh, on the 25th, I believe it is, January 25th, yeah. uh, watch social media, uh, especially a uh, Holly Berry uh, social media account. There's going to be uh, something coming up. Mate, so. I wondered who that was. That is very <laughs> exciting. We know you because yeah, I a live video cooking thing. So amazing. Now, probably don't have time, but as I understand, Holly Berry, she's got type one diabetes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and just use low, use low carb to manage it for a long time now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, all our books. We love them. <laughs> I cannot wait to um, see what that's about. Craig, thank you again for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Lovely. Take care. So hopefully you guys took heaps of notes in and around that because there was a real wealth of information and I absolutely recommend those books and resources and on their website there's just such a wealth of information that if you couldn't purchase anything you could still go over there and get a ton of resources around recipes, articles, uh, testimonials and hearing other people's experience in and around ketogenic diets. And next week, I get to sit down with one of my best mates, Anna Frost, who trail runners amongst us will recognize as one of New Zealand's top professional mountain runners. And we talk about her transition from mountain runner to mum to coach and everything in between. And anyone that has ever followed Anna knows how open she is to sharing her experiences because she really sees the value in doing so to help other people and I don't doubt that you guys will be looking forward to that as much as I did chatting to her. So until then you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition and then over on my website, mickeywillardin.com, where you can connect with me for one-on-one -on -one consultations or a family consultation, or hook into one of my nutrition coaching programs. I help people with fat loss, with longevity diets, or just a real food approach to take the thinking out of it for you. And that gives you access to meal plans, shopping lists, to me to help me individualize those meal plans, and a weekly forum and email where I do a deep dive into some of the science that I'm super interested in. And this week it was on the science of weight loss and weight loss maintenance. And also forums every Tuesday night so we can connect and I can help answer some of those questions that all of us have. Until then, if you like the show, please head on over to your favorite podcast platform. Give us a five star review and let people know how much you enjoy it because the more people that review the show the bigger and broader the reach which is obviously beneficial for anyone who's wanting to help optimize their health and well-being till then team have a great week